Sometimes you just run into one of those kinds of people that you cannot get along with. No matter what they do or say, they seem to rub you the wrong way. They annoy you. They're your personal enemy. They're the, the joker to your Batman. Maybe that's a bit extreme. But everything they say and do seems to get on your nerves. Every time you look at them, you just get irritated a little bit more. Maybe it's the way they act, the way they walk, the things they believe in or that you think they believe in. Maybe it's the way they dress or look. They just have that, that air about them. They seem suspicious. You don't feel like you can trust them. And maybe they've done something wrong. Maybe they've done something to harm you or someone else you know, and maybe they haven't. But there's just something about that person that you just cannot seem to get along with. Everything they do gets on your nerves. Once you make a judgment about one person, once you've decided how you feel about one person, it's, it's easy to transfer that same thought to anyone who looks like them or dresses like them, who acts like them. See, that's how stereotypes, both positive and negative, maybe it's somebody you really like or maybe it's somebody that you don't trust. But that's how these things are formed and they start to shape the way we think, the way we look at people and the way we treat others. Now, there's a show on the Science Channel titled Through the Wormhole. It's hosted by Morgan Freeman. And he gathers scientists and researchers and theologians to talk about some big questions. And he always gets people from both sides. And, you know, he doesn't always come to a conclusion, but he just asks what the current research is into whatever topic he's discussing. Well, about two years ago, they aired an episode that still sticks out in my mind. The title of the episode was, Are We All Bigots? Ooh, that's, that's a pretty big question. It came out around the time of, of what was happening in Ferguson, but it had already been planned long before any of those incidents happened. And the research the scientists found was that everybody makes snap judgments about other people. The conclusion? Yes. In the end, we all act like bigots. We're all formed by our communities, by our cultures, to make decisions about particular kinds of people who look a certain way, dress a certain way, generally some people who are others, whatever that means. They, they look different than us, and so we make judgments about them. Now this, this might surprise you. See, because we, we all like to think that we're good people. We all like to think that we love other people and treat them with respect and dignity. But the research found that these snap judgments happen even contrary to our stated beliefs. They happen so fast that we, we don't even think about them. We just react. We walk a little different. We look at somebody a little different just based on how they look or how we perceive them. See, this shouldn't surprise us. The scientists have found this research, but theologians have been saying that this is true for years. See, there's a reason. Since sin entered in, we're all broken. We're all broken. Since sin has entered into creation, we have created divisions. 
we have set up segregation. We have pushed people to the side and set divisions and closed ourselves off and separated ourselves from the others. See, we don't trust other people. We turn inward and want to be with people like us where we feel comfortable and safe. We may agree with the premise and and even with the statement that all people are created in the image of God, that everyone has inherent dignity and deserves respect. But the reality is that when push comes to shove, that we give in to worldly wisdom that says, love your neighbor, the people who are like you, and be suspicious, in fact, hate your enemies. Why? Because it's easier to go to war with them. It's easier to dismiss their opinions. It's easier to write them off if you just say that, that they obviously don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're wrong and they're evil and they're wicked. It's easier for us to give in to responding to attacks with violence and force to try and get even or get revenge. See, there's an old law that says the, cri- the punishment should match the crime, and that tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye, equal punishment for the crime. This is the, the law Jesus references today, and then he proceeds to say unexpectedly, that's not how we're supposed to act as Christians. As Christians, what we're called to do is when somebody strikes us either with, ver- with words or in physical violence, we're to not respond in kind, but to turn the other cheek, to love our neighbor, to act as a friend. When people belittle us or say angry words or speak vitriol against Christians, we're to respond with a word of kindness. We respond to hatred with love. We call people to kindness. We change their hearts not by overthrowing them with force, but by showing compassion and mercy. It's a radical mentality. And it's hard. It's hard to do this. But we see it in Jesus' actions. He just doesn't, he doesn't just say it. He lives this out. Think about what happened when Jesus was on the cross as he's hanging there. People are walking by, they're wagging their heads, they're, they're scoffing at him and they're mocking him. And instead of looking down in disgust and saying, don't worry, you'll get what's coming to you, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yet it seemed like they, they knew exactly what they were doing. When people hurt us, it seems like they know exactly what they're doing to us. And yet we're called to respond in love. Jesus' hard message that says, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, treat them with respect. When we hear that message, we also need to hear the words of Matthew 22. As Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he responds, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We put these side by side. We put this greatest commandment next to the command to love our enemies. Not just our neighbors. That means we're to love our enemies as ourselves. Suddenly, this nice phrase, this nice commandment in Matthew 22, suddenly has a little bit of of sting, a little bit of force behind it. 
And then when you hear that in line of what Jesus says in John 15, that greater love has no, no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Suddenly this command to love our enemies, to pray for them, that already seemed so daunting and so demanding, seems impossible. Because we see the true nature of selfless love. See, it tells us that whoever is in front of us, we're called to love that person as ourselves. Regardless of who they are, whoever's in front of us is our neighbor. Whether or not they are white or black, Arabic or Hispanic, whether or not they are Christian or Muslim, Hindu or atheist, whoever is in front of us is our neighbor and we are called to love that person. That's what Jesus' demand, that's what the commandment today says. That's a, it's hard to hear. See, we, we struggle so much to follow Jesus' words because of, of what I talked about in the first story of today's sermon. We make these snap judgments. We separate ourselves off from other people. See, we're, we're prone when we see the needs of others to give in to self-interest, to put our own needs first, take care of number one, and then I'll worry about somebody else. We always want to protect what's ours. And make no mistake about it, Christians are just as prone to, give, to giving in, to caring only about their own needs, or putting their own needs first when it comes at a cost. We might talk as Christians about how evil the world is and, and the bad things we see around us, but then we, we do nothing to change them. Or worse yet, we end up participating in them later in the week. We give in to those same things. Perhaps that's why so often Christians are labeled as hypocrites. Because we are. We fall short. We may proclaim the gospel. We may say that God loves all people equally and that God cares about each and every person that they're made in God's image. We might hear the words in James 2 that says, if you see a brother or sister who is hungry and cold and comes to you and you say to them, be warm, well fed, and go in peace, but you do nothing to take care of their physical needs, what good is it? We might agree with that, but then we see the needs around us, and when it comes at a cost to our own comfort, we do nothing. We fall short. See, I firmly believe that each and every one of you in here wants to do the right thing. I believe that, that you try and do the right thing more often than not. I believe that, that you're good people. But the problem is that the law demands perfection, and we all fall short of that. Why do we fall short? Because we try and do it by our own strength, our own ability. When you hear Jesus' command to love our enemies and pray for those around us who are opposed to us, who are hurting us, it takes a superhuman capacity. It takes something greater than we are. See, in those moments when we want to start to learn how to love our neighbors, love our enemies as ourselves, and to pray for them, it's in those moments that we need to hear words like Romans 5.8. Again and again, that reminds us that God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were his enemies, while we were in open rebellion against God, he sent his son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven 
so that we can be claimed. When you have experienced that kind of love that is so selfless, so beyond anything we could possibly imagine, that says that that makes you know that you are loved fully, completely, undeniably, without any conditions or restrictions. Only then are you able to love others. Are you able to see that, that this love doesn't come because of my worth or what I've accomplished, but because of who God is? And then you come to see that God loves all people. He truly loves all people. When you have received a love without conditions, you can love unconditionally. Why? Because your soul and your heart begins to overflow with the love you have received from a God who loved you first. Loved you right where you are. In the midst of your brokenness and your sin. In the midst of everything falling apart. God loves you. You see, when you see that God loves you, you begin to love God back in you. You love what he loves. Broken, messy, sinful people who are completely lost apart from God, just like you and me. People just like us. That's, that's all of creation. And so, as we learn of God's love for us, we learn to love others. And so we love the angry feminist, the confrontational atheist, the foreigner who doesn't look like us, the Islamic Muslim terrorist who wants to do us harm. We love the thief and the adulterer. We love the neighbor who always gets on our nerves. We love the coworker who is lazy and the coworker who is arrogant and thinks he has all the answers. We love the arch nemesis, whether or not that's Joker or anyone else in your life. Why? Because God loved us first. And as God's people who are loved, we are freed to love others. Amen. If you take out your sermon notes, there's a couple points, spiritual practices rather, for this week that I want you to focus on. The scripture passages listed on the, uh, on the backside focus on what does, the, what does God call the Christian to love and what does it look like according to God. I want you to meditate on a question this week. Who have I seen in trouble or difficulty and been unwilling to help? Who have you turned your back on? We've all done it at times, myself included. And we need to, I think, ask that question and, and ask why. Why did we turn the other way? And finally, this week, I want you to act. When you see a person in need this week, don't ask, how will this person use my help? Will they use it appropriately? Or, what will others think of me? Will I be labeled as, as somebody who's a socialist or somebody who, who cares for this type or that type of person? Rather, ask, what does love require of me? And do it. And do it. Will you bow your heads to me in prayer? Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us what true love is by sending your Son. As your people who have received your unending, unceasing, overflowing and overwhelming love that transforms our hearts and minds. Help us to love others as you love them, to see them as you see them. Give us strength, not by our own ability, but as those who are claimed as your beloved children. In Jesus' name, amen.